Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard long as i can remember i've always wanted to be a gangster it's eric roberts is the fucking man redux once again the world's only eric roberts related podcast i'm doug tilly and joining me as usual is machine gun liam o'donnell how you doing today liam oh man i don't like that nickname at all but you don't uh, like machine gun no it's a little too close to that uh d-bag machine gun kelly oh right they, what do they call him uh uh machine gun mgk yeah he's your mg mgl that's yeah. not that's pretty cool no Nothing about that no? is cool. No, you don't think. You know what is cool though, Liam, is what? you've recently mutilated your finger. Fuck! I love that we're <laughs> starting with this. Yeah, I was uh, I was making dinner. I got this new knife that's like crazy sharp, and uh, I knew it was sharp. And I, I've actually, in a minor way, already cut myself a couple times with it because it's so sharp. And, I mean, uh, I hesitate to even bring this up, but most knives are pretty sharp. No, no, no. You it's don't one understand. of the defining things about no, being no, a knife. No, 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 no. In fact, when we got it in the mail, the first thing when you they have like a little thing like, oh, you got this knife. It's really cool. The first thing it says mm-hmm. is, careful, this is a really fucking sharp knife. Like it says fucking in the thing that they sent me. <laughs> I'm not joking. It was crazy. And so I was like, oh, I better be careful. And so I was cutting up this John and I put it on the knife on the counter and it's just started to fall. And instead of just letting it fall like a rational human, I reached for it and it embedded itself in my pointer finger and I had to get eight stitches and it was terrible. I have to ask you this as well, Liam. What was your wife's reaction when you told her that you sliced up your finger? Well, the first thing I said is, oh shit, oh fuck, oh God. Mm-hmm. And of course that mm-hmm. brought her to the kitchen to see what was wrong. And I said, you have to get me some gauze right now. And so she went. <laughs> Were you panicking? I just want, I want you to set the scene. Oh, yeah. I had taken a dish towel and I was shoving that dish towel against my uh, finger. And mm-hmm. that dish towel was slowly turning red. So I knew something was wrong. Right. And then she brought me the gauze and I took the dish towel off. And the color of the blood coming out of my finger was very dark. And that had me concerned. I mean, so pretty punk I, rock, but please continue. And then I, uh, I ra- wrapped it in a ton of gauze and taped it up. And then I cleaned up a little bit from dinner. And then I started putting my jacket on to go to the hospital. And she, my wife was like, oh, do you? Are you sure you need to go to the hospital? I'm like, I'm not sure. And I looked, <laughs> I looked down, and my gauze had already started to like seep through. And I was mm-hmm. like, Yep, hospital time. And, and you so, got eight stitches at the hospital, Liam. Oh yeah, I mean, they. I, I said like it might not be that bad. And then I took the gauze off, and they were like, Oh no, it's that bad. We have to give you some stitches right now. I was like, Okay, cool. Now, rather notoriously on this show, Liam, you rail against the idea of free health care for all. Oh, yeah, uh, I hate your, it. Your hard right viewpoints are something that we mm-hmm. usually spar over. Has this incident changed any of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I was straight up a, a laissez-faire capitalist. Mm-hmm. And now I've I've gone full. I've, I've actually skipped past socialism. I'm a full Trotskyite now, so. <laughs> Welcome to the club, Liam. Our guest <laughs> today is a writer, editor, and the co-founder of the Synapse website. It's Ed Travis. How are you doing today, Ed? Hey, great to be here. Is it, Ed? Is it great to be here? Uh, I mean, it's great to be with you. Yes. (laughs) Ed and I uh, share a common enemy in this world, one Mr. 
Liam O'Donnell. And I, I would love to actually talk about that for hours. But instead, Ed, huh, uh, I want you to tell me about your life experience with the beloved actor Eric Roberts. Oh, man, it's literally yeah. I knew you were going to ask. I'm looking right at it and uh-huh. you're still catching me off guard somehow. <laughs> I don't, That's I don't his superpower. <laughs> um, OK, OK, so um, tell me when you were first aware of Eric Roberts. Yeah, I would have to say that would be best of the best uh, and probably in pretty real time, although I don't think I saw best of the best in a theater. I think probably mm. like HBO or something like that, maybe. Right. Uh, would have been best of the best. Um, and I obviously thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and, um, but I didn't really see him anywhere else. Cause he wasn't like, like necessarily like the big action guy, like right. on the same shelves as, mm-hmm. you know, Van Damme or what have you. So I kind of think it was kind of like, well, who's this guy? You know, like, I don't, I don't know this guy. Do you um, think Ed, and, and this is something that, that comes from the fact that, Eric Roberts also appears in The Expendables, that mm. certain people think of Eric Roberts because their only experience with him is from maybe Best of the Best 1 and 2, and maybe just kind of being generally aware of him otherwise, that he is considered an action star in certain circles. Yes. Well, I mean, Kelsey Grammer is in an Expendables film, so I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> you mean the Beast himself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Action, action hero, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> Uh, what is aside, I'm just going to push aside your experience with best of the best, your favorite movie, but is there any other Eric Roberts performances? Are there any other that jump out at you that you're a big fan of that you think of when someone yells the name Eric Roberts at you? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, I mean, Uh (laughs) so ages ago I, um, wrote for the now, um, unfortunate ain't it cool news. And, um, I had a chance with uh, Harry. I mean, I, I live in Austin, Texas. I, mm-hmm. I worked, I worked on his web series sure. with him. Um, hey, whatever happened to the GoFundMe? <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> oh oh man. Doug, you are such a shitster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely forgotten about that, that piece of the, the pie. Um, <laughs> but I will say to bring it back. Uh-huh. <laughs> That I got a chance to write about Canon films uh, in on Ain't It Cool News, and so I yes. think it was it was at that point that I checked out uh, Runaway Train, and um, really did enjoy that one, and was like, oh, Eric Roberts was like, you know, in the Oscar nominee world at some point in time. Although I, I've never seen a, what did he actually get nominated for? So he got uh, so. He actually got a Golden Globe for King of the Gypsies, but his most well-known role that you're probably thinking of right now is um, the Pope of Greenwich Village. Dude, I, I've never seen either of those yet. Or Star 80, which is probably his other most well-known role. Yeah, uh, I also have not seen that, although I've seen um, Jacob Knight tweets about that movie a lot. It's great. Um, it, I'm I'm a massive Star 80 fan, as I would have to be, because I host a Eric Roberts based uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. podcast, but Liam O'Donnell has never seen Star 80. Yes, I have. <clears throat> Liam O'Donnell has never seen The Pope of Greenwich Village. That is correct. I've, 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 <laughs> wait a minute. No, I have seen, no, no, I haven't seen Pope. I've seen King of the Gypsies. Okay. Right? The Which fact, that, the you had, the fact his... that that ended with a question mark, despite the fact that you've been co-hosting 100 plus <laughs> episodes of an Eric Roberts-based podcast, that is concerning to me. 
again, Doug, I get so much Eric Roberts in other horrible ways that I have to like really build up my excitement to go back to the stuff you covered without me. Because if you forget, you covered all the good movies without me. And so yes. now I'm left with nothing. Liam, you can experience, and this is something I want all of our listeners to understand, you can experience Eric Roberts in your spare time. It doesn't always have to be for the show. And if you are going to experience it, I'll tell you, the Pope of Greenwich Village, it's a good thing to experience. Which is the which is the movie with the thumbs? That's what thumb, I always get confused That about. is the Pope of Greenwich Village. Okay, then I haven't seen King of the Gypsies. I've seen Pope of Greenwich Village. Okay, well... <laughs> The other thing to remember about the Pope of Greenwich Village is that Eric Roberts makes a very large sandwich in it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. No, I knew. I knew the. I knew. I. I get those two confused. Uh, but um, I knew I had seen the one with the thumbs because it's so memorable. The one with the thumbs, <laughs> and also because it was the first thing LDP brought up to me. Remember when I interviewed Lou Diamond Phillips on Cinefunks? And I was like, yeah, I have another podcast about Eric Roberts. And I was using that as a segue to talk about Lou Diamond Phillips' career as a working actor. And he took it as an opportunity to interrupt with me and quote the thumbs line. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. Isn't that amazing? A, that you embarrassed yourself by bringing up your Eric Roberts podcast to Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, he and was B, not judgmental at all. He thought it was sick. And B, that uh, that he then quoted a movie that you have not watched, even though it's like the most famous. I have watched it. I haven't watched King of the <laughs> Gypsies. I don't think you know what you have watched. I do, because the three movies, whenever people are like, ugh, Eric Roberts, I'm always like, well, there are four movies you need to watch. And then I always go, except for I've never watched King of the Gypsies. So I'm only taking that <laughs> on Doug's word, because I have watched Runaway Train and Star 80. In fact, we talked about this before, that Runaway Train was one of the only movies of his that's like his good movies I had watched before I joined you on the podcast. I only knew him from like the action stuff. Ed Travis. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was like a call and response thing. <laughs> Ed Travis, it's the year 2021. And now in 2021, when someone says Eric Roberts to you, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind? That's a great question. I, honestly, I, I'm going to say it's probably still going to be best of the best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got that slick back ponytail. Come on. His hair you is... Know? Look, sometimes you Eric Roberts went through periods of hairstyles that is are easy kind of shortcuts in terms of marking parts of his life, parts of his career. It's a good way for me to think back over it, but never was it more luxurious in that best of the best slash the ambulance era of Eric Roberts roles. I hope that this appearance on the Eric Roberts is the fucking man podcast, Ed, is a introduction to the wider Eric Roberts world. And thankfully, as your introduction, you have chosen a movie for us to watch today called The Beautiful Ones, an action classic from the year 2017. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But first, we need to get caught up on all the latest Eric Roberts news on The Roberts Report. It's the Roberts Report for another episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man Redux. And as we continue with a deep dive on the man himself's Twitter feed, you can follow Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts, all one word. And you probably should. Eric Roberts on February 7th tweeted, forgive today. Life is unpredictable. Grieving is painful enough without adding the pain of regret for delaying forgiveness. You can't go wrong with all versions of kindness. Kindness is our best foot forward. Ed, Pretty stirring words from Eric Roberts there. Damn. 
Damn, I Eric know. Roberts. Yeah, damn, Eric Roberts is what I <laughs> I hear from from Ed Travis today. Ed, <laughs> now we're not here. It, uh, I, I would be remiss if I was to mock Eric Roberts for what is obviously a very sincere sentiment. Let us, as grown serious gentlemen, take this sentiment and take it seriously. Forgive today. Kindness is our best foot forward. Ed, have you been putting your best foot kindness forward in the year 2021? Man, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I appreciate you saying that, but I don't know. <laughs> I I feel like Liam is going to take some potential issue with kindness just always being our best foot forward. <laughs> how, did you, really? how did you know, Ed? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I've, I've known Liam for a minute. <laughs> oh, is, so so you're not going to to add more to the kindness being our best foot forward discussion. You're going to wait for Liam's opinion on the subject. Liam, you are a man of God. Sure, let's go with that. And you are a man of <laughs> of punk, right? You're a punk man. Fair, fair. I mean, again, I hate when you do this, but let's do it. As a godly punk, what are your thoughts about the general concept of kindness? Well, I mean. <laughs> Here's the here's the issue, Doug, and I think you're gonna mm. understand when I when I mean when I talk about this. Please. I think focusing so much on forgiveness and kindness really only works on like a personal level, and and I really only want to encourage forgiveness to people when it's within the context of their own healing. Um, as much as I believe in forgiveness, in fact, I would say that forgiveness is more important to me than any sort of literal idea of divinity or anything like that. Like, I think forgiveness is a much stronger thing to believe in than what most people mean when they say the word God. On the other hand, uh, as as whiteness does with everything, forgiveness itself has been fucking weaponized as a way to make uh, oppressed communities not ask for justice. And so the whole thing with, like, kindness is our best foot forward – I I'm still like it depends on the situation. I think in most situations, especially on a personal level, kindness is our best foot forward. And and I think the possibility of forgiveness should always be there. But too often we use words like kindness and forgiveness to make people who are angry feel bad for being angry. And if they have a good reason to be angry, then I'm not going to start with fucking, oh, I don't know, forgiveness seems pretty cool, guys. Like We should probably start with fixing the situation first and then talk about how we heal after after that the healing comes after this after we are no longer in the situation of injustice we don't start talking about forgiveness when people are still dying on the streets you know lavar burton says true reconciliation and healing can only come as a result of justice being served do you agree with that liam i do actually um i think again i i i'm a little skeptical sometimes about how far we can get with justice we might have to settle for something that is as close to justice as we can get um but i do think no movement towards justice but asking for forgiveness is what you do when you are guilty and you are unwilling to face your guilt. Ed, let me come up with a scenario where kindness may be the answer for you. Uh-oh. So say <laughs> that you're in your kitchen and you are cutting up pork chops Fuck. with a sharp knife. <laughs> <laughs> and you start thinking about, boy, you know what? The world's just in shambles lately. You get distracted and slip the sharp knife, which you have already cut yourself on previously. You go ahead and you jab it right into the side of your finger and you start screaming, screaming in a shrill way, I would say. Uh, and your wife comes in and says, what can I do to help? And you just scream at her because you're so upset. Later on, is kindness the best way to, to regain that trust between yourselves? Or is maybe an action would be something that you'd want to partake in? I mean, can you be kind without action? Ooh, 
Excellent question. I pose it to Liam. <laughs> oh, are we having a discussion right now? Is that what's going on? I don't know. I'm just really enjoying putting this all on Liam. And, I'm, and I also will say I'm wondering if Eric Roberts' whiteness uh, comes up in every episode of this of this. Yes. <laughs> I would. No, no, no. I wouldn't say every episode. Uh, we didn't bring it up when he was on that cat show talking about his cats. Um, no, no, no. I, I And again, I don't mean this to attack Eric Roberts. I think his sentiment here comes from the, the something he talked to us about on stage Mm -hmm. when we were on stage with Eric Roberts, which is, you know, he has a difficult past of his own, both pain that was caused to him in his family dynamics and pain that he caused to others through his own addiction. So like when he's talking about this stuff, he's very much talking about relationships and personal interactions and stuff. It's just a lot of times this logic gets applied in a broader way. And I think as much as Ed Mm -hmm. sort of put it in a way, like he was challenging me, what he said is basically right. Like kindness without action is not a thing. It's not real. And so, like, for someone to say, like, well, I was kind because I said words in a respectful way, but they're still existing on someone else's neck. That's not kindness. You know what I mean? Um, but, like, I don't think Eric I don't think Eric is out here trying to justify white supremacy in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I think Eric is talking about how, like, a lot of times in your own relationships, like, holding a grudge against someone ends up being more of a burden for you, especially when that person doesn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just got to let that shit go. Cause you just got to let it go. Cause you need to move on with your fucking life. Nick Lowe once wrote, wrote, you have to be cruel to be kind, which is a sentiment. I think we can all agree with back on January 27th, <laughs> Eric Roberts wrote on Twitter. You can only be sure if you make sure. Now I'm going to go back over to you for, for a second, Liam. Can you only be sure if you make sure? I'm going to be honest. I don't know what this means, but sure. <laughs> sure? Yeah. Sounds Are good. you sure? Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> Ed, Liam seems a little confused by the sentiment. Can you only be sure if you make sure? I think this is going back to to action again. We're yes. talking about action. You yeah, have to make yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, that makes sense, Ed. Yeah. It's all about action. All, you know what? If we take nothing away from this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man is that it's all about action, which is why we're going to be talking about an action movie chosen by you, Ed, in just a little bit. Back on January 1st, the first day of the year 2021, Eric Roberts wrote, I figured out my answer to the everything happens for a reason conundrum. I think we can going to ascribe a reason to most everything that happens, but I do not believe that everything happens for a reason you ed uh when we were discussing before this episode started recording you seem delighted that eric roberts did not believe that things happened for a reason now again i'm going to get the spiritual perspective from liam in just a moment but you ed why is it so great that nothing happens for a reason <laughs> well i mm-hmm. try to be a nice guy i i work pretty hard at it i would say a fool's errand i would say but please continue. <clears throat> okay I accept that. Um, I just, this is one of those things that I just feel like people toss off their lips just frequently without ever considering the consequences of saying everything happens for a reason. And I always find it a little bit challenging uh, when anyone says that uh, because I just think it's immediately like provably incorrect. Or if it's, (laughs) I don't know if it's incorrect so much as, as it's it would be cruel if that is the case. Mm. And so people say everything happens for a reason as like generally when someone says everything happens for a reason, it's uh, to reflect on something, I don't know, that happened in their own life, some sort of sign or, or wonder or direction 
that was that was provided to them but like immediately for me i'm like oh everything happens for a reason cool like explain i don't know the caste system in india <laughs> like what's you know like explain someone whose life is absolute shit and will never change uh what was what's the reason explain you know? the continued existence of the ain't it cool news website <laughs> <laughs> oh man Liam, back over to you. Sure. Now, my life uh, does, I believe everything happens for a reason, obviously, despite what Ed has to say, because my life is uh, dictated by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But sure. you, you might have a different perspective. Tell me your thoughts on the, the reasons that things happen. Oh, I agree with what Ed said. I think it's a stupid sentiment um, that people say <laughs> because they think it's going to make you feel better, and it won't. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. I think sometimes people say it when what they mean to say is, Sometimes when things feel like shit, you're going to find something valuable for you in that situation. But that's a possibility. That's not a fucking guarantee. And that's how people say it. Like, oh, whatever this is, you're going to later on look back and you're going to know why it happened. But like, again, why does that why bring comfort? Like some shitty things happen to me because I'm stupid. And like, that's not comforting. You know, like the reason I did this is because I didn't think it through properly. How does that, how is that supposed to make me feel better? Um, and, and and if what we're doing is really trying to come up with some sort of weird theology where it's like, well, God wanted it to happen. Well, yeah, then a lot of people are going to be like, well, fuck that guy. Like, I want, I, I don't want that, you know? So I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it, it's something someone says, I think oftentimes because they don't want to deal with the pain of what you're going through. And so it's a way for them to deflect your frustration and your sadness from themselves. Liam, I do believe everything happens for a reason. And that reason? Capitalism. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> Local filmmakers shooting their second film in, what is this, Reading, Liam? Oh, is this in Reading? I didn't I, didn't I think read it's in Reading. I know you didn't read the notes. I, believe me, you don't need to add that to, to <laughs> anything. <laughs> I don't care about this show, so go ahead. Well, this is the the producers of a film called Dust Nuggets that we have uh, discussed on a previous episode of Eric Roberts in our news section. Uh, the creators of that are working on a new film called Le Bon Chef, which they're shooting later this year uh, as their follow-up to Dust Nuggets. In Reading? Uh, in Reading, Reading. Jesus, okay. Why, why is that unusual, Liam? I don't know much about Reading, but I understand it's in Pennsylvania? Um, It's, you know... It, once you get outside of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, there aren't a lot of nice things in Pennsylvania. Like that's just a you know like a blanket reality. <laughs> and you uh, live outside those places for yeah, a very long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, and uh, and and Reading is like not. It's like one of those things. You know, f uh, famously on my other podcast, Cinepunks, Josh told a story about like being at the Reading Tattoo Convention and going to a diner and some uh, gentlemen coming in to sing like. Uh, country songs acapella in the diner and everyone finding that really charming and Josh is a man of color being like I have to run away right now like I'm so <laughs> uncomfortable like Red Reading's just the you know lots of people live there and like it but if you said like wow there was a crazy hate crime in Reading I'd be like oh that makes sense oh my god um, I have a thing I'm just realizing this is I can say something that's true Do please about Finally. me this okay. is this is a truth about me is that I came to an understanding of what the outlet mall is. Okay. Thanks to Reading, Pennsylvania. Yes. Okay. Yes. I know exactly where you're talking about. Sure. Well, I don't. Please elaborate. I don't know. I, I just, I rem I have a, a memory from my childhood of my parents taking me to Reading, Pennsylvania. And the purpose of the visit 
was outlet mall shopping and we oh. shopped in an outlet mall and that was the first time I came became aware of what an outlet mall is. And that's you know, my funny. only experience with Reading, Pennsylvania. It's funny, as a child, you you experienced outlets, but I grew up in, in a uh, fishing area where there were a lot of inlets. Pretty interesting, right? Oh my God. <laughs> Fascinating. Le Bon Chef features a 50-something female chef at a top French restaurant going bankrupt as people's tastes change slowly to vegan, low-carb infusion. Everything French food is not. It features a, a diverse cast of actors who bring their kooky life perspectives into the melting pot of Le Bon Chef, uh, including one Mr. Eric Roberts, as well as the great Robert Picardo, who will be uh, both joining Le Bon Chef uh, in the in the near future. Any interest in this movie, Liam? Le Bon Chef. I mean, I don't think I have a choice in the matter, Doug. Well, I'm not asking if you're going to watch it. I know the answer to that question, but any interest in it? <laughs> no, not particularly. <laughs> they raised uh, twenty thousand dollars with uh, with a crowdfunding campaign, which I imagine they're going to have to account for at some point, unlike some other crowdfunding that we maybe have referenced earlier. Ed, do you have any thoughts on Le Bon Chef? Does this sound like an interesting concept? People look at these these uh, uh, millennials; they enjoy vegan and low carb, not classic French uh, cooking. I, I mean, <clears throat> in the summary, it actually sounds very like dismissive and annoying but mm -hmm. i mean i guess you could mine something from that i'm actually more <laughs> curious about dust nuggets <laughs> i mean between the two titles i'm going for dust nuggets every time <laughs> well we'll cover it some at some point and maybe we'll have you back then ed uh, another thing that you might want to check i, I wish i had never said anything <laughs> Liam, between the most recent episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man and the one that we're recording right this very second, an Eric Roberts project appeared on televisions. Uh, he appeared in another The Wrong movie for David Dakota, this one called The Wrong Valentine, uh, which aired recently starring, once again, Vivica A. Fox, who I believe stars in all of The Wrong films. At this point, there are 25 different movies in this made-for-TV series. A few of them, uh, I think we covered at least one on this show, uh, but I'm sure we'll be covering more in the future. The only thing David Dakota, the director, says to uh, Vivica A. Fox is that she can't play the villain because she always has to deliver the catchphrase, which is the title of the movie. <laughs> uh, Liam, I, I know we, uh, we've covered a lot of Lifetime movies. Are you excited about us uh, catching up with The Wrong Valentine? You know, David Dakota is like a real hit or miss. Like, I think we did The Wrong Roommate. And I think at the time, I didn't love it, but it was at least amusing. <laughs> Liam, I don't mean to interrupt, but usually when you say someone is hit or miss, that there has to be a hit in there somewhere. <laughs> well, well, I'm saying, like, to me, to me, I thought The Wrong Roommate wasn't great, but it's watchable. Whereas mm. we also covered um, Bigfoot, Bigfoot versus, versus D.B. Cooper, Cooper mm -hmm. which is an actual torture device. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, you, you know, you got to take the good with the bad is what I would say. You know, Ed Travis, I've never gotten your take on this. Do you ever watch any Lifetime movies? I, I'm not certain I've ever seen a single Lifetime movie. There's um, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, apparently 25 in a single franchise. Um, I respect <laughs> this. I am, this is complete news to me. And I'm kind of stoked for Vivica A. Vivica a. Fox that she has a 25 installment and running show that is yeah. unbelievable uh look and wait, these not, are feature I, these are feature length so this is not a tv show this is this is these are feature movies. length films
That is 100% correct. All of them reaching 90 minutes or so. And are you um, just finding about the finding out about the phenomenon of Lifetime movies right now? Like you didn't know. <laughs> no, I think he's, he's just no, surprised no, no. by this long running franchise. And when I say long running, it's like 25 movies in like six years. Yeah, because because so I'm a big Zatoichi fan, and I've always been like, you know. Oh yes, I've very always... comparable franchise. <laughs> yeah, they're they're basically the same thing, but I, but I like often will wax eloquently about how you know the lead actor was like the same, the same dude for like all 25 of those movies, whereas you know we don't even have 25 Bond movies yet, and obviously there's been many actors playing Bond, so like more power to Vivica A. Fox. Well, it probably helped that it pr- probably helped that in exactly the same case as this, and I am going to compare those two franchises now. That Shintaro Katsu was the producer of the Zatoichi movies, just like Vivica A. Fox is the producer of these wrong movies. That helps. It helps. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Lifetime loves to show marathons of these movies. You can uh, check out them. I think if you go over to Lifetime right now, probably they're showing one of them. If they're not showing one of the lauded. Uh, Stocked by My Doctor films, which is another franchise that I imagine... Ed, do you know much about the Stocked by My Doctor franchise? I mean, I know that Eric Roberts is in some of them. He Not oh, some of them. He and? stars as the titular doctor he, in the Stocked by My Doctor. He is the doctor? Film. Yes. So he does the stalking. He stalks. He's the doctor. Okay. He's crazed. And I have to say, uh, just from my experience with the wrong series, that the Stocked by My Doctor series is the superior Lifetime series. And maybe that's just because they take a little bit more time with them. They only put them out like once a year as opposed to five a year. Uh, but if you want to check out the wrong, what's this one called? The Wrong Valentine. I imagine that uh, it's playing regularly on the Lifetime network right now. Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2021's Miracle Underground, a fictionalized account of the 33 Chilean miners' ordeal told from a spiritual point of view as each one of them individually came face-to-face with the real prospect of death after 70 days underground with no word from the outside world. So you probably, both of you probably remember this uh, this incident with the Chilean miners. This is a film directed by Armand Mastriani, uh, who actually has a lengthy uh, and quite respectable filmography, a lot of television movies. He directed the 1980 horror film, He Knows You're Alone, which uh, has the screen debut of Tom Hanks. This film has been in the works for a very long time. In fact, it was first announced back in 2011 and was meant to star Chuck Norris, a faith-based telling of a real-life event. Liam, what do you think? I'm good. Not interested in, uh, what's this movie called? Miracle Underground? I love the the way they suggest it is that the film is just going to go through all 33 miners <laughs> and have them each like decide if they're going to accept Christ or not. And that just sounds like the most <laughs> tedious prospect I've ever heard of. Uh, it's I have to say it's told I, from I, a spiritual I, point of view, Liam. Oh, yes. That's true. That's true. I'm sorry. I'm making so an assumption. No, no, no. I'm making an assumption about this being uh, an embarrassing Jesus movie, but maybe, fingers crossed, it's an embarrassing something else movie. <laughs> they uh, they have been using the same poster art for this film since it was first announced in 2011. I found some old articles about it. I At this moment, that poster art has a number of actors listed on the top of it that are no longer attached to the movie, including Adrian Paul, but Eric Roberts is still attached to it, as well as Nia Peoples, so perhaps... After uh, a pretty much a decade in production, we may finally see Miracle Underground very soon. Ed, what do you feel about the prospect um, of taking a real-life story and then adding a faith-based sheen on top? 
I mean, as long as you have Chuck Norris in the mix, everything's great. He That's will not be in the mix. I can okay, promise you that. Then one. it's then it's going to be hot garbage and unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be kind of weird to be one of the Chilean miners who uh, were rescued and then watching an adaptation of your story and then having all of these different um, elements and attitudes that that you have no connection with kind of attributed to you as a person. Seems like it's kind of offensive. Actually, to me personally, it seems really fucking offensive. <laughs> I can't I, I can't deny your offendedness. I feel like that's they probably shouldn't go for that. What's interesting is I'm wondering if this film has been in development since before the actual Chilean minor incident. That yes. Yeah, right. You know, they, 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 they had the movie. They were just looking for the disaster. <laughs> They, they had the concept, and then they actually the the producers had to create the incident to kind of drum up yeah, interest. Yeah, maybe get well, some they, they couldn't happening. they couldn't get the green light for the original idea, which was nine eleven based. So they were looking yeah. for something else, <laughs> yeah. which, which they started to pitch in two thousand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, uh, the the one by one conversions was originally taking place in the rubble of nine eleven, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> under the ground. I should mention, by the way, that if you go to the Internet Movie Database profile for Miracle Underground, as I mentioned before, it does have a poster on it. If you go to the website on that poster, it no longer exists. So I'm not sure if I have a full confidence that we're going to be seeing Miracle Underground in the year 2021. Liam, will we be checking out Miracle Underground? Unfortunately. We have to, Liam, because we made a blood oath to cover the life and work of actor Eric Roberts, meaning that we, for the rest of our natural and perhaps unnatural lives, will be watching movies like Miracle Underground. Liam, do you feel conflicted about the blood oath that you made? (laughs) No, because it means I'm attached to you forever. Yes, you are attached to me. We are attached to each other. You can't even sever me like you severed that part of your finger with that sharp knife. Fuck, yeah. (laughs) I'd like to try, though. I sure would. (laughs) You better fucking not, is what I'm trying to say. Liam is pushing the boundaries of the blood oath. That's right. Well, yeah, that's right. We're adding to the blood oath. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ed, we're having too much fun here. I think we need to take a break. We need to remove all sense of fun because we're going to be talking about the beautiful ones directed by Jesse V. Johnson right after this. Spent my life traveling in one direction, driven by greed, narcissism, arrogance, a slight obsession with Steve McQueen. Hey, man, I know what you're capable of. No need to labor the point. What you did to that poor man. Stuff a legend, Gabriel. It really is. You see, I'm what I'd call a professional criminal. But back in the day, you'd have called me a gangster. What do you mean? The shark has a daughter, Eva. I want you to get to know her. A mob family loan shark falls in love with the wrong woman during a turf war and has to use his unique skills to rescue her from the same people he once called brothers. That's 2017's The Beautiful Ones, directed by the prolific Jesse V. Johnson, uh, who makes a lot of action films with Scott Adkins currently, but also uh, used to be a uh, very well-known and well-regarded stunt performer. 
um, and worked in films as diverse as Planet of the Apes, Mars Attacks, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, and more. Now he makes top-notch action films like The Beautiful Ones. This film stars Ross McCall as the Steve McQueen worshipping Gabriel Tancredi, as well as Brian T. as the character Casper, sort of his nemesis in the film. We also see the great character actor Ed Lauder in his very final performance here as kind of, I guess, the, uh, the uh, older statesman of this uh, gang that uh, Gabriel is part of. And Eric Roberts shows up as Carl, but we'll talk about him in just a little bit. I do want to mention, we're going to talk about it in some more detail in a couple of minutes. This film was designed to be shown in black and white. Uh, this movie is very meta. We have a character that talks constantly to the screen. Uh, the things that he's wearing, the prices of them show up on the screen. He talks uh, openly about worshipping Steve McQueen. Uh, other directors like Walter Hill and Sam Peckinpah are mentioned. This is a movie that is meant to make you think of other action movies, particularly from the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Old Yakuza movies are mentioned as well. So, this movie has been released in 2017, despite the fact that it was made many years before, I think as far back as 2013, uh, and was meant to be shown in black and white, but has now only been distributed in color. So there is a suggestion that this movie that we're seeing, The Beautiful Ones, is not the film that the, the, the director necessarily intended. I don't know if we have to keep that in mind. We can only judge the movie that we see. Our guest today, Ed, what did you think of this film? Yeah, well... Um... Honestly, I was pretty excited to see this was on the short list of movies. You You're an action film. guy, Ed. I should mention I, that too. <clears throat> I am an action guy and I'm a big Jesse V. Johnson guy. And this was my first watch of this film. So it kind of was like, I don't know. We were joking a little bit on Twitter and you were like, I don't, I don't want to bring you onto the show and just like legitimately, truly make you suffer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay, um, man, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I was pretty excited to check this out. Um, I, I've probably seen a lot more Jesse V. Johnson films than your average bloke, um, mm. but this was one I hadn't made it to yet. Um, so I was pretty excited to watch it. And uh, yeah, I would say that I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it more as someone who's keenly aware of the filmography of the filmmaker. Sure. Um, and sure, Liam and I will we'll fight over this. I'm sure a little bit, um, <laughs> tonight. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, his best work. Uh, I think it's actually, I actually was shocked to see that it was released in 2017 before I knew, you know, it's like, you just look on IMDb and you see it's a 2017 film. So you're like, right. Oh, okay. And then to realize, yeah, it was probably shot like as much as five years earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, I actually, that doesn't surprise me because uh, I think I'm not on IMDb right now, but he also released maybe Savage Dog in 2017 or uh, he, I think he released another uh, Scott Adkins film that same year. Right. And I feel like the quality is wildly different between the two films. <laughs> So this, this movie is designed as sort of a, a Romeo and Juliet story, a gangster, modernized Romeo and Juliet. You, you've talked about that you liked it, but what about it did you like? Yeah, I mean, so, okay. Um, Jesse V. Johnson. Well, first of all, I I kind of love the narrative of the stunt professional who becomes a filmmaker in and of themselves. And I do in, like in that. their own right. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I'm like forever going to pull for 
people coming out of the stunt community and, and, you know, making their own movies. So um, I don't want to steal Liam's thunder, but I do know that uh, this is a very self-serious film. And um, I think that that's not my favorite part. I do think that he's been able to, uh, in his career, like uh, work out some of his, his, his pet themes in much more successful ways than happens in this one. But okay. You asked me like, do I like this movie? I think the answer is like a pretty easy. Yes. I, I like it. I think it's, I think uh, there's some fun to be had. Um, I do think it's overly serious, but I kind of think it's a little bit badass in terms of, you know, he name drops a lot of directors. We'll get into that as well, but at least he like, he infuses some style into his direct to video film, which is more than can be said of many, many direct-to-video filmmakers. I do feel that this is very obviously a passion project for the director, and that's one of the things I like most about it, is that you can feel his voice in what you're watching. That's also one of the things that I feel most conflicted about in regards to it, but I'll give my thoughts after we hear from Liam O'Donnell. What did you think of the movie, Liam? Um, You know, it's it's just not for me. Uh, There's just not much here that I enjoyed, Doug. Uh, and Ed. Uh, I mean, look. <laughs> Liam, you're a bit of a sourpuss. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm, okay. I fully accept that as a thing. Um, look, uh, I'm not sure what it is I'm meant to enjoy here. I find the main character of uh, Gabriel Tancredi to be utterly distasteful in every way. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I'm willing to admit that, that part of that is the script. But part of that is is this Ross McCall character who I do not enjoy and I don't find him compelling as an actor. I don't even find him physically attractive, so I don't believe anyone else will as well. And uh, I don't think he really carries any sense of menace. And part of the movie is he's a menacing figure and none of that comes across for me. Um, I don't like that the script is supposed to be a Romeo and Juliet story, but as you pointed out before we started recording, it's really just a Romeo story, and Juliet's yeah. like an afterthought. <laughs> Very so, much so. I, I don't, I don't, I don't love that as a as a way to tell the story. Uh, and I also feel like uh, the Casper character is meant to perform a function that isn't well written. You know, we we don't really understand their relationship and motivations really his motivation until the end and and the all the motivations in the script are very complicated uh and don't make sense to me as to why things are happening exactly but the thing i find the most egregious other than the price check on everything which is just some bullshit i don't give a fuck about <laughs> I, is feel that, like, I feel like that price that the, the price is on the screen undermine the feeling of it being a right. gritty 70s style right movie Right, it's like a reminder that he's pretending to be this thing, but yes. he can only do it because he's so privileged and has all this, you know, sick criminal money. But uh, putting that aside, I don't find any of the action compelling. There was nothing exciting for me this entire film. I would have liked one fight scene I thought was cool. I would have liked one shootout I thought was cool. The thing I saw lauded the most on Letterbox was the final shootout, which I'm just like. It's slow motion guns going off. Anyone could film that. Ed could go in his yard and film that right now. Like, it's not cool. Nothing about it is cool. And and it's also, like, doesn't make sense. Like, I get that this man was in combat, but uh, having been to combat doesn't mean you can murder 100 guys with, like, you know, getting one bullet wound, and that's it. Like, it's just... It's unbelievable and unexciting, and I think that's what bummed me out the most because... 
uh, back to the positive things that you both were saying, I actually think this movie does have a lot of style. I, it just mm-hmm. turns out that it's not a style I care about, and it doesn't have anything else. If it had this much style, but also had an actor who I found compelling and a couple of action scenes that were exciting, I'd actually think this is a pretty good movie. You know, it's 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 not so bad. But the reality is, the only thing I had to cling on to was the style, and that's not compelling enough for me. So my issue i have a few issues with this movie i actually do like the last half hour quite a bit i do like that shootout i disagree that it's just guns being shot in slow motion i do think that the way that the confrontations are set up are pretty good and feel like more of a traditional action movie than the rest of the movie does and that's kind of the thing that both the the first hour of this movie is a lot of setup there is a little bit of action like hand-to-hand stuff and i agree with you liam most of that is is pretty poor some of it is really kind of strangely poor uh but i do think that it all kind of tightens up a lot in that last half hour though like you said i get very confused about the motivations and how you're everyone's being rushed in this confrontation that doesn't seem like it would benefit anybody at all and it doesn't really make sense that everyone is getting so upset it just feels like there's like 20 minutes of exposition that's been cut out that i'm kind of glad isn't there because it would have slowed the movie down so much i think ross mccall does a really good job in the lead the problem i have with him is that he's scottish and i can tell the whole movie his accent is just on the edge of slipping the whole time and his character he's got this kind of like new york accent but this is a very la movie it does not feel you know he feels like a character that's playing a character which is completely appropriate for the movie that they're trying to tell here but it also distances me as a viewer from him as a performer uh, i think brian t is much better as as this villain but like you said lee uh, as you said as you said liam i don't really understand his motivation either we're told that he has with his other mob boss that he has this relationship where he's treated really badly but we never see it this is a movie that really has the ability to show not tell but always takes tell until that final half hour or so but i i really want to say and i feel kind of bad about saying this julie warner who plays the the club owner um the gabriel's aunt katarina tancredi she is awful in this she's really bad and i feel like that character has to be the toughest character right because we're supposed to believe that gabriel and her that he's going to turn against her at one point but that they have this kind of strong relationship her performance i've seen her be good in other films i think they just needed someone a little more grizzled and a little bit more serious in that role i think that she lets down a lot of those interactions that they have so i do think that the performances are are inconsistent but i do think overall i had a good time and mostly because this movie it, it ends well, even though it has a shaky beginning. And I do find a lot of that talking to the camera stuff that it it, it feels, I understand what the director was going for, but if you're gonna talk about how much you wanna be Steve McQueen, then you better be fucking cool. And you gotta be always super fucking cool. And I don't think it, he necessarily pulls that off for most of the movie. I do wanna talk though about the idea that this film was, was taken away basically and the distributors i don't know if they re-edited it but it certainly took it from black and white to color i do feel like a lot of my issues with this movie it has nothing to do with whether it's in color or black and white as liam said it is very stylish in a lot of different ways i felt that a lot of the stylistic elements don't always work like the film sometimes going goes from um from scene to scene scene transitions happen with an iris going in which i guess is supposed to make us think about old style filmmaking, but it certainly doesn't make me think of Walter Hill or Sam Peckinpah. Um, 
I, I, I'm monologuing a little bit now. Ed, I want to get your take on this. Do you think this movie would have been better? I mean, we have reviews here. We have quotes that I'll go into in just a second. People raving about early screenings of this movie that was in black and white. Do you think that that is one of the reasons that this movie doesn't reach the heights that it could? No. No, I think you, I, I really think you brought up the good point of like, you know, every issue that like you or Liam or I have brought up, I mean, it had nothing to do with whether the film was in color or black and white. I mean, it would still annoy us probably that there's little pop-ups of, of pricing, <laughs> price tags and things like that, whether it was in black and white or color. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct that uh, the performance from Julie Warner was, was like exceptionally, like stand out bad. Um, like I, I, it was distractingly bad and I'm not mm. familiar with her as an actress. And I do, I do like almost hate to bring up that kind of thing. Cause it just Absolutely. feels mean, but mm -hmm. it, I don't know. It just, cause you know, that can be the director. I mean, I love Jesse V Johnson, but that, that can be him too. Like, you know, I mean, I always point out to just normal people that have a problem understanding this type of thing that like Natalie Portman is like obviously a great actress. And she's not great in the in the prequel trilogy. Yeah, right. So there's something else. There's more than just like this person is a born actress or a born actor. Like, you know, um, so it's not just like all on her. But, you know, so the direction of her or the editing of her didn't do her any favors. And uh, so she's she's pretty bad. But anyway, I, I'm digressing. You just asked me about the color versus the black and white. Um, I didn't know anything about the this element until looking at your notes. So I watched the whole movie just, you know, not a thought in the world about whether it had sat on a shelf or whether it had been tinkered with. I just kind of always default to assuming that like, this is the movie the director made, right. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't put a ton of thought into that, but no, I, I don't think, I mean, yeah, it, it's still highly stylized and I very much his voice is coming through in the movie. So I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't really understand why it would have been in black and white in the first place. I mean, if it if it it's meant to be a tribute to a certain kind of movie, uh, like Walter Hill's movies weren't in black and white, and you know Sam Peckinpah's early television work would have been. I guess if it was the Yakuza movies that he was referring to, that he he was trying to get that feeling across. But it's be weird to be talking about color movies and and you know and Steve McQueen almost all of his kind of uh, I mean and really outside of again his television work almost every notable Steve McQueen performance is in color as well. It just seems like a weird thing to get hung up on. But maybe, you know, again, if you design the look to be in black and white, it must feel kind of shitty to have it taken away and forced to be in color. Um, I do want to read from this review that was from a version of the film that was seen at the time that it was made, when it was originally supposed to be released. Um, it says, I'm just going to read it straight up. All involved with the film obviously took time to get lighting, sound, and ADR just right. Watching my screener in HD with headphones allowed the beautiful ones to come alive from the opening sultry tones of Angela right up to the gunplay to the exhilarating climax. Thanks to the attention to detail and be the beautiful ones, the film has a definite repeat watch factor and recommended for home viewing when it becomes available. This is my modern day Citizen Kane and my top film for 2015. Jesus. The beautiful ones scores a damn near perfect 9.5 out of 10. The film should develop a cult following at film festivals and deserve a worldwide theatrical release in 2016. Liam, how does reading that make you feel? <laughs> uh, it makes me feel like even more of a curmudgeon than I'm already coming across. <laughs> Look, what's funny is I do think I'm sort of the one who's the most negative here, and I'm actually holding back. Like When you were talking about the black and white thing, my emotional response is like, it's just to up the... 
everything about this film for me, like, is made worse by the narrative of this character who is the living embodiment of shitty male film Twitter. Like just the the fucking monologuing about the different movies and uh, comparing himself to Steve McQueen. And like there's this awful part where this woman says something and he's like, well, that means she's never getting a call back before they go to his house and have sex, by the way. Uh, everything about <laughs> this dude's attitude what about her thighs though can we talk a little bit about yeah well that's the thing right is that like the black and white thing just adds to my feeling of like this is a love letter to douchebaggery this is a this is a movie about being uh every you know uh pre-incels incel wet dream you know this dude is the fucking worst and like i i didn't want to focus on that too much because um for some folks Maybe that would work for them, and I'm just coming at it as the kind of guy that finds this kind of guy interminable. Just the worst kind of dude. I don't want to interact with him. I don't want to know him. Um, And so, like, that's a bias that I'm bringing to the film. But the reality is we spend so much time with this fucking character and so little time with anyone else inevitably I can't help feeling that way and then when it's like well it would have been even better if it's a black and white it's like there's no reason for it to be black and white this is just more jerking off to old movies without even understanding the movies that you're jerking off to it is a a bummer to even think about it (laughs) can I can I bring something up which I think uh Doug hit on earlier which is the like the whole concept of of show don't tell I think I think um, I gotta look it up, or one of you guys, if you have IMDb up, what's the other movie that came out the same year as this that that Jesse D. Johnson did? I think it was Savage Dog, but I'm I'll, I'll have it in I'm, front of me in two okay. seconds. I'm not it very was. dexterous. <laughs> I'll be dexterous <laughs> enough for the both of us. So are we talking yes. about 2017? The other movie that year was Savage Dog. Okay, so I was okay. So so I mean, I would encourage folks to check out Savage Dog if they're ever going to check this one out and just watch them. You know theoretically having come out in the same year, but knowing that Jesse V. Johnson, you know, made this movie many, many years earlier, I think he probably needed to get out some of that. Like, I mean, I've heard him interviewed in podcasts and things like that. And he is very film savvy. He's clearly like, he knows his stuff. And I think there was like an immature filmmaker that needed to put that all out there. Like you just got to get it out. I know things about Japanese cinema. And so I'm going to have my characters say them. And I think he's really, really matured as since he's made this film and, and he's, he's shown us a lot more in his more recent work rather than, than telling us. Um, I do think that's incredibly fair, but I mean, we should also note he directed at least 10 feature length films before he ever made this one. Yeah. 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 I think, um, well, you know, again, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for any stunt person who's going to get the chance to direct. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, I think his early stuff was like gig work, you know, like, Hey, we've got this movie. We're looking for somebody. And he's like, Hey, I'll do it. And it's not necessarily his voice, but he put his skill set to work and he went to work and he proved himself. And so he got, so it's probably like the beautiful ones was probably his chance to sort of be like, I'm going to get out all these things on paper that I've been thinking. And, and it's just, it comes out, it does come out very douchey. I mean, I, Liam brings up like incel and, and all that stuff. That's, that's pretty funny. I, I do, I do see like the film bro thing here. Like this is like, it's just references. He's like character on screen is just making references for the sake of references. And so that like, you know, nerds like me watch the movie and go like, Oh, that's a reference. (laughs) 
to a movie I know. And so I feel good because I know that movie, you know, (laughs) but you're right. It doesn't contribute to the narrative of the film really. I mean, it was rough when he sat down and he tried to like pick up the girl and they sat down at a table and he like, I don't know. He just picks her up by like talking about, you know, Yakuza films. And I'm like, there's no, that's no, you know, no. (laughs) It's, it, that is a, that's an impossible scene. Yeah, it's it's wish fulfillment. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're I, right. It's I, like it's some kind of nerd wish fulfillment. Like, but, that but it's there's like, a girl this, out there. This is a scene where it's like <laughs> you are so charming that even though you know that you you at first are being seen as a douche, that you're going to win them over or this woman over with your charm, and that's going to happen on screen in front of the audience, and they have to be convinced as well, and that is impossible. That is impossible because. We're already have been introduced to him. And in fact, I mean, this is one of the things that Liam that I don't think that that you necessarily cared about, but that the movie was trying to say is that this is supposed to be about an evolution of this character that at the first he is a douchey bro guy. You know, he thinks of himself like a um, a protagonist in one of these Sam Peckinpah movies where it's their manly man movies that are, you know, the women are very secondary in them. But by the end, he has softened somewhat and he has opened himself up a little bit. The, the problem is that we don't really see that, right? We're supposed to think that this character has gone through this change, that he's found real love with her, his Juliet. But because we get no idea of what she is all about, that her only existence is in comparison to him, that, that whatever decision he makes, you don't really feel at the end that he is any really isn't really significantly different than he was at the beginning and that you know three weeks from now when he gets tired of her thighs that she'll be dumped to the side just like the woman at the beginning i mean i don't think there's enough time with them like am i supposed to find the scene where they're dressing up in different era clothing which by the way none of which fits him properly um (laughs) that's supposed to be compelling like they're falling in love like I, I, I just don't see it. I think the guy with the coffee, who, by the way, she never gets her order uh, in that scene. But uh, uh, the guy with the coffee and the guy shooting up the dudes in the room is the same douche. Nothing has changed. And and honestly, this is the ultimate wish fulfillment, right? He doesn't have to be a good person. He just has to kill a lot of people, which is a lot easier to imagine than him becoming a good person. You know, I, I don't know. I don't find none of that really works for me. Again, maybe we're being too... I guess this is my frustration, right? I don't want to have to be thinking about that, Doug. I want the movie to have so many other joys around, like, a cool car chase and awesome fighting and whatever that I don't have to stop and go, man, I find uh, Ross McCall in this role really distasteful. It's like, I shouldn't be thinking about that. I should be thinking about him as this, like, badass dude. And part right. of that, again, you like his performance. I don't. But it doesn't matter. The script doesn't do give him enough things to do, in my mind. The whole movie doesn't. For him to be cool. And so, like, I'm focused on him being fucking lame. But, like, if he did a lot more cool things, I wouldn't be thinking about that. I, uh, <laughs> I did what the character suggested that I do last night. And I watched The Magnificent Seven and watched Steve McQueen in particular in that movie. And I'll tell you... Does not make this movie seem any better when I'm watching that performance (laughs) and trying to watch this one. Kind of worked against the movie, unfortunately. Well, I think Um, William brings up a great point of like what, okay, I think what I, in a way, what I like about the movie and what I like about, I like when filmmakers put themselves out there, you know, and they, and, and so I appreciate that. But I think what happens is you put, you're very vulnerable when you put yourself out there super, super far. And so I think William brings up a good point of like, you know, you have these characters doing these awesome monologues about, 
you know, Steve McQueen and you just recognize like how vapid <laughs> said character is for just like hero <laughs> worshiping a movie star. Um, and then, but then I was like, well, Hey, maybe we're supposed to like, maybe all these like, you know, rhapsodic, you know, soliloquies about Steve McQueen are going to give us a sense of like, Oh, this guy is not to be respected. Sure, but then it's like, yeah. no, no, mm-mm. like clearly he's supposed to be awesome. I don't think it would have saved and, uh, the movie, but if it had gotten there, that would have made it significantly better. If it was like, yeah. oh, wait, the director knows he's a jerk off. That's what the movie's about. Then I would have been like a little bit more. I don't again. I don't know if it would save the movie, but it would have been interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do want to say that uh, Fernanda Andrade, who plays Ava, the, the love interest of Gabriel in this, I think she does fine in the movie. I wish we had a significant it's so strange because at the end of the movie we're supposed to think she's dead except nobody in the entire movie thinks that she's dead except for gabriel and i don't know why he says that just because someone told him you think he'd want a little bit of proof but he's completely convinced that she's dead uh and then of course uh, she's alive they get to go off together in his douchey car um i i think we should come to an end on the discussion on the beautiful ones I don't. I think we. I think we generally actually pretty much agree on this, which is that whatever compromises this this movie had to go through in order to be released, it does not ruin or save the movie in any particular way. I would be somewhat interested to see this in black and white, just to see how it was composed for that uh, image, and and see if that makes me kind of have any different feelings about this character. Maybe I'd be a little more sympathetic about the old-fashioned nature about the relationships if the movie looked a bit more old-fashioned but it's time now and i know that both of you are very much looking forward to this to talk about eric roberts a character (laughs) an actor that we have not spent strangely much time discussing he plays carl in this movie liam who's carl he's a guy on a rock begging for his life he's a guy on a rock begging uh gabriel for his life because i guess he owed them money which he has and he gives them the money and then they leave and that's it. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't get, you didn't talk about Carl's hair. Hey, oh, we're always oh. going to talk about Eric Roberts' hair. Why don't you tell okay. us about it, Ed? What's his hair like in this movie? I mean, Carl's hair is glorious in this film. I mean, it's blowing in the wind. It's lush. It's full. I mean, gosh, if if, if all of us could have hair like that, it'd be a better place. Uh, you know what? I think that is something that we can all come together on, that sentiment about <laughs> Eric Roberts' hair. But let's not talk about Eric Roberts' hair. Let's talk about his performance in this, Ed. What did you think of Eric Roberts as Carl? You know, uh, um, I uh-huh. don't even know what was... I mean, Liam really actually just cleared up his scene for me. <laughs> I wasn't actually sure what was even happening in the scene because he just showed... It's like out of nowhere. I was like, oh, here's Eric Roberts. And so I like lean forward. I, I threw like, it over to Liam because I legitimately didn't understand what was going on in the scene. Liam broke it down for us. Like yes. he really just, he came through because. I mean, that is what my interpretation was. <laughs> but you have to kind of, there's there's just a few context clues to make sure that you know what's going on. <laughs> well, I thought, I, I guess I leaned in because like you alluded to earlier, I fully assumed this was the introductory scene to Carl. <laughs> and that yes. Carl was then going to have an arc of some kind because this is Eric Roberts, but no, he never showed up again. And so I think I just was like, I was really grasping for what was happening in the scene. Cause I thought it was going to be really crucial. And then I, I, I actually just lost it. I lost whatever was supposed to be going on in the scene entirely. 
I well, did think that they were going to kill Eric Roberts in that scene. Same, was one of, same. Right? And I mean, that is obviously what we're supposed to think, that he might be killed, especially because he pushes <laughs> he pushes the line a little bit in regards to how he talks to Gabriel. And we're supposed to, I thought that that was going to be our confirmation that Gabriel's the kind of badass that sometimes he kills guys because he just is annoyed by them. And that's one of the things that the character has to evolve from. But no, they let him live. And when that happened, I, like you, Ed, was thinking, well, I guess he'll show up later on in the movie. And then, as is so often the case on Eric Roberts is the fucking man, he never does. Um, I mean, I will say that scene is important because if you remember back, it's actually the only scene where we get any indication of what that character does for money. Um, well, he uh, does go to that. Remember, he goes to like a hotel room and holds a gun against the guy's head. Another scene like that, which kind of does the same thing because he lets that guy live, too. It's Yeah, yeah, I... But there's no discussion of money in that scene, is there? I don't remember them. Yeah, yeah, remember the guy had it was in his uh, drawer or whatever. Yeah, it's in a drawer. But that could have been okay. The 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 money in the drawer scene, I thought, oh, he sells drugs, and then it was with the Eric Roberts scene where I was like, oh, he lends money. So I think that is an important scene in the sense of that it establishes that, uh, or at least establishes more. And it was more memorable to me. That other scene, I was more focused on the introduction of the Casper character, what the fuck that was all about. Right. Uh, but this establishes him as as a kind of loan shark and that he has some compassion for a very poorly dressed Eric Roberts. Um, he's definitely in the... Uh, Ed, a, a theme with Eric Roberts is, will the suits fit or not? And most of the time, the suits do not fit. Like, everyone thinks Eric Roberts is still ripped, and he is an older man. So the suits what are, are always... What are proportions? Is he, like, a tall guy? I don't even know. What no, are Eric Roberts? he's not a What's tall his... guy. What are his suit measurements? I mean, he's <laughs> taller than me, and he's shorter than Duck, is what I would say. <laughs> I mean, that is yeah. a, that's a wide fucking yeah. swap there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, I didn't. I didn't measure him up when we hung out with him, man. That didn't seem appropriate. So, well, I also, I've never seen Doug, so this doesn't help me at all. Oh, he's Doug is a <laughs> Doug is a giant. Doug is descended from giants. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's a fucking huge man. Um, so, anyways, the point here is that I don't think the scene was unimportant. And Eric think, Roberts is five eight. Okay, so he's oh, wow. two, okay, two he's my height. Me. Okay, yeah, yeah. but he's got um, way better six, hair. Six. Than me. Way better hair. Oh man, six six. Yeah, Doug's a monster. Give me some um, of that. Give me some of that. Yeah. You don't want some of this. <laughs> <laughs> All I was going to say is I think that Eric does an okay job in a scene that is meant to be important, whether it is important or not, you could debate, but it's meant to be an important scene. But I'm with you guys. Like the way the scene is written, I wanted him to come back and do anything else and he just disappears and it made me sad so on one hand i don't think it was a bad performance but it functioned in the movie to make me sad i have some thoughts here um ed please do you guys recall there was a specific cut like a cutaway like a close-up to show eric roberts feet like shuffling towards the edge of the cliff a little yes bit? Mm-hmm. so so i think i mean i genuinely i'm not trying to like play this up I literally didn't even know what was happening in the scene. Like I didn't realize that it was this like sort of, Oh, he owes something. It took like the whole scene for me to even figure out what the dude was talking about. But that cutaway is, it was helpful because it actually, it's the only, it's, I guess when I realized, Oh, Eric Roberts is in like in danger right now, right. or there's like some kind of threat happening to Eric Roberts right now. Right. It was that cutaway helped me. But then humorously when it cut back to Eric Roberts, 
in like more of a wide shot, I was like, <laughs> that dude is like 25 feet away from the edge of the cliff. <laughs> like he is not perilously <laughs> hanging on the edge here. Like he is comfortably chilling. <laughs> yeah. It would have taken some work to throw him off. Like yeah, they would have like, had to rush taken, him yeah. and really throw him to, <laughs> for him to be in danger. <laughs> Liam, before we ask the, uh, the, the theme that, uh, that has been the core of this podcast for a very long time, I want to ask you, is this film the Citizen Kane, a modern-day Citizen Kane, and the best film of the year 2015? Well, I don't have a lot of good memories of 2015, um, but I, I can probably bet it was not one of the best films of 2015. Liam, before you say that, hold on. Some of the best films of 2015 include, oh boy, The Big Short. No, thank you. <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh, uh, wait. Here. I kind of like that one, but I couldn't hang with Vice. <laughs> Some of the, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Liam, in terms of the action movies that The Beautiful Ones was competing with as the top film of 2015 includes Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How does The Beautiful Ones stack up to Mad Max Fury Road? I'm going to say. They also, also had a black and white version. Know, That's uh, true. Say, uh, they have clearly, so much in common. Clearly, that, that was, 2015 was the year to have the distributors deny your black and white version, only to be shown up later by the internet. The internet saying, no, we want the black and white version. Um, no, I mean, uh, look, this I don't know who wrote this thing, whatever. I'm not going to just dunk on some random person on Letterboxd. Dunk. But I will say that I... It was on a website, not on Letterboxd. Oh, it was on a website? Yes. Oh, man. It was probably written by the director. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) It it wasn't... It's not... It's just, you know, I get it. Liam, I got to interrupt you again. One of the other films from 2015 was a film that you appeared in, Creed. Yeah. I'll go with Creed above this one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. All right. let's, Let's get to it. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in the movie The Beautiful Ones from the year 2017? Start with our guest today, Ed. Ed, the fucking man or no? I mean, Eric Roberts is a fucking man in mm-hmm. The Beautiful Ones. But is, is that not he? acceptable? Uh, not acceptable. I okay, I wouldn't say he's the man. No. Uh, I think that the a lot man. of that has to do with... Okay, sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to... <laughs> I didn't intend to edit myself. <laughs> It just doesn't come that naturally to me. I understand. Uh, I think had he had more than one scene and had that scene been comprehensible to me personally, uh, he would have had more of a shot at being the fucking man. So you're, you're waffling a little bit. You're saying he's not the fucking man, but if he had more time, he could have been the fucking man. I guess he had a shot. Had a shot, but is not is what you're saying. Yeah, he yeah he okay. didn't. Pretty controversial uh, thing to hear on a podcast called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Over to Liam. Liam, is Eric Roberts the fucking man in the beautiful ones? Uh, I gotta say that I'm kind of with Ed on this one that he's not. Again, I know controversial take, mm. but the reality is he doesn't have enough screen time to do anything and the scene is just not that cool he doesn't even do any like high-pitched eric roberts whining which would have added a little flavor to the scene he just seems like any old man could have done that like the other than his hair making a cameo there's nothing eric roberts about the scene and he is not the man in in that scene it does kind of feel like a character that should have 
dipped into some of that nervous energy that Eric Roberts brings yep. to his kind of more famous roles from the 1980s. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a little depressing that we did not get more of him, and also a little unfortunate that his character didn't remind us a little bit of some of those roles. I uh, boy, I hate to say it, but I think I'm in agreement with the both of you. Eric Roberts, not the fucking man in the Beautiful Ones, which just makes me dislike this movie all the more. A waste of Eric Roberts. Really, one of the most uh, uh, shameful things a, a filmmaker can do. Um, <laughs> knowing that Ed is a fan of the filmmaker, and so am I. I've seen a number of his films and enjoyed them very much. I don't want anyone to write off Jesse V. Johnston because of the Beautiful Ones. I imagine he feels quite conflicted about the final film as well but if you listener want to check out the beautiful ones you can do it right now it's on tubi t-u-b-i dot tv there in the states you can watch it i believe it's also on amazon prime check it out let us know what you think uh and go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com leave us an email tell us that we're wrong about the beautiful ones if you are the writer of that review that we quoted please take us to task for our ridiculous opinions Ed, I want to give you so much thanks and appreciation for coming on, knowing that Liam was going to tear into a movie that you loved oh so very much. Uh, while you are here, why don't you tell us where people can find your work on the internet? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun being here. Um, I mean, it was fun being with you, Doug. And, mm-hmm. um, I understand. I get that eat, all the time. Eat my ass, Ed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again? Yeah, um, every day. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, you can. You find guys have one of those playful, combative relationships, just like the characters in the movie we talked about today. Um, it's true. It's true. Yeah, and it's because it's, it's about it's, love. Anyway, please continue. Developed over decades. Um, <laughs> at this point, um, so you can find me. I did indeed uh, co-found Synapse, and um, so that's where I do most of my film writing. And uh, I'm also just on Twitter at Ed underscore Travis, and I. I don't know. I, I usually comment on every movie I watch on Twitter in some way, shape or form. So little mini reviews there. Um, but do most of my any like real writing, I guess, at Synapse. So we will, of course, link all of that in the show notes today. People could, of course, and should, of course, follow Ed on Twitter. You can also follow this guy over here, Liam O'Donnell on Twitter. Liam, how can people do that? It seems like a bad idea, but they can find me at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. Mm, right. And where else can you be found on the Internet? Well, you know, they can check out this podcast as well as the whole family of podcasts over at Cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, uh, where they'll find podcasts like The Evil Eye, Fat Girl Hacks, um, Black Sun Dispatches, as well as many, many more, and some great writing as well. They can also check out uh, back episodes of this podcast, Cinema Smorgasbord, at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, and there's a whole family of shows that Doug and I do together. Some of them are actually enjoyable. <laughs> we uh, recently launched a podcast about the work of Alejandro Jodorowsky called Jodorowsky. You can find that, the latest episodes over at cinepunks.com. Or if you want to find all of our Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, including ones devoted to actors as diverse as uh, Carol Kane, as Jackie Chan, as the Filipino Peter Laurie Vic Diaz, as Dick Miller. You can find that over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. That's also on Twitter, at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. Or if you can follow me on Twitter, that's Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But folks, that's it for this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. We're going to close up the Eric Roberts bag for another week. We're going to be back very soon with another Eric Roberts favorite. Good night, everybody. Night night. This is what I believe. 
Yeah. 